And now for something completely machinima. Welcome to And Now for Something Completely Machinima, the podcast about machinima, real-time filmmaking, and VR. I am your host, Phil, otherwise known as Overman. The Z and the S are silent, and I'm joined by my co-hosts here, Damian Valentine. Hello. Ricky, the paintbrush mustache grove. Very happy to be here today. (laughs) And Tracy Harwood. Hello. All right, so today we are doing some machinima discussion, just a little bit of group discussion on stuff that's maybe not about a particular film or not about a particular item of news, just a particular topic that we're interested in. And uh, Ricky came up with these topics this week, I believe. The first one is we wanted to discuss some of the new ways that people can collaborate on machinima filmmaking and kind of compare and contrast those with the filmmaking workflow of, of original filmmaking. Uh, so, Ricky, why don't you go ahead and start us off on that? Sure. Um, well, what this topic came up because I was thinking about Machinima Omniverse, which was essentially a uh, uh, the Omniverse platform by NVIDIA, was essentially a way for them to communicate and collaborate in real time. So, for example, if there was a scene that uh, somebody had to do lighting on and somebody else had to bring characters and do some materials uh, adjustment on them, uh, or, or frame up a shot, you could have three people working on the same scene at the same time, which would be absolutely unheard of in uh, the early days of Machinima. And at the same time, I in reading Tracy's excellent uh, Pioneers in Machinima book, which is just, I, it's even better rereading it, Tracy. It's such a good book. And Ben. <laughs> and Ben, too. Yeah, don't forget Ben Grusey, who was a part of the making of that. Um but in rereading it, I went back to a video that you made, Phil, about the making of Father Frag's Best, in which you filmed the guys and yourself with commentary. And I have no idea where that video is now, but I remember watching it. Uh, in terms of using multiplayer and chat and conversation, you know, game chat, you'd be in a multiplayer chat and the guys would have a microphone and they'd talk all at the same time. And you were directing the whole thing like a, a VR director you'd see today in, in, in Unreal. And it made me wonder about, well, how much of that has changed since those early days? Or do we still rely on the same kind of methods for communicating with each other? And I came up with, I still think that multiplayer is an excellent way to collaborate today, especially with the technical improvements in multiplayer for games. And then near universal um, uh, uh, technology in uh, games uh, that the, the, the desire to release a multiplayer aspect to a game is just everybody has to do it. So, and I began thinking, well, what are the ways that we communicate today with, with uh, collaboration? And we have many, many more tools to do that. The COVID uh, pandemic caused a, a sort of jump in technology where you have Zoom, you have all of these other Microsoft group where you can put in a separate window and you can talk to somebody and work with them. You can share their, they can share their screen with you. So say if somebody's working on a problem and they're trying to, they're doing a scene, a machinima scene, and the guy says, well, I've, I'm having trouble with this part. And then he shows that part and you go, well, you, you have to do this, you have to do that. And you can pop back out you can go in the game. So there are many more ways to communicate uh, today 
for the machinima filmmaker. And I think that's pretty cool. And I just wonder whether there's so many that I wonder whether many machinima filmmakers are aware of the wide variety of ways to communicate with each other. And that's kind of what I wanted to discuss with you guys. I think one of the more popular ones right now is uh, Discord among especially younger gamers. And the reason for that is Discord, a Discord server can serve as a staging area. You know, everyone gets in there from wherever they're at, joins in, and Discord not only has text chat, but it also has uh, audio chat, a voice chat, um, that you can set up a channel specifically for that and regulate who gets in there and whatnot. And many of them will actually stay in the Discord audio chat while firing up their game, whatever game it is. So even games that don't support anything like that natively, Minecraft, for example, Red Dead Redemption 2. Although I guess Red Dead Online probably has some kind of voice chat thing, but it's not reliable. Um, so the, yeah, Discord ends up being you know, the, the unifier there for a lot of people because of the combination of text and voice chat, easy to share links if you want to send someone a link to join a server or things like that. Um, so that's that's what a lot of people are using. Um, there's actually uh, the the main Machinima Reddit subreddit, excuse me, has their own Discord server that they've been operating for quite some time. It's very active, and some of the categories that they've some of the channels that they've created on their Discord server are specifically related to coordinating, hey, I need some online actors to come do this scene. Or there's another one when you want to recruit voice talent and people can submit their voice audition right there through Discord. Ah. It's, it's, it's pretty neat. And that's, that's happening a lot. Um, Chantel on the chat uh, just just seconded that. She says, yeah, we always use Discord when live streaming or filming. Um, so it's it's that's that's a super helpful tool there. Yes, there's lots of them, um, but that seems to be the one that, that has really um, really taken on a life with with gamers. And looking at you know my son, who's very involved in the Minecraft uh, modding and content creation community, that's how he gets. He's he's got a group of friends and collaborators that he gets on with that are spread out all over the globe. At least one of them's in the UK, others are in different parts of the United States. They all hop on Discord. It's like they're in the same room. It's amazing. Do you remember the early chat was IRC? Yeah. Actually, the very first Quake Movies Awards ceremony that I remember, which was administered by Hugh Hancock and I think Gordon McDonald, took place in an IRC chat. I didn't hardly know how to use IRC at the time. I had to learn it just to show up there. And I'm glad that I did because that was a year that that Father Frag's Best got some uh, recognition. Ben Grusey in the in the chat, I'm sure he was he was there because he's been there for everything. We all know this. But uh, yeah, Discord, Discord's an amazing tool and seems pretty intuitive. The fact that anyone can set up their own server and that doesn't mean a physical machine. For us old people, I th- when I think server, I think a Dell PowerEdge, you know, with such and such RAID hard drives. No, no, no. It's just it's a virtual server, your area to control and brand 
and set up the rules and make it public or private. They just opened that up. Anyone can do that at any time. And that's awesome. Yeah. So something I was thinking about, uh, Ricky, a couple of weeks ago, you and I used Zencaster, which is the same site that we're using right now to record this show, um, to record some dialogue. Uh, you were recording some dialogue for me for my Out of the Empire um, series. Uh, we wanted to give that a try. And it occurred to me afterwards, Zencaster has this ability where you can load in sound effects or sound recordings. And I thought, what I could have done is I already had the Grand Admiral Thrawn's dialogue, who's the character your character interacts with. I could have loaded that up as into the sound clips, and then you could have said your line, and I could have played the sound clip as his response, so you could have bounced off that. Yes. Um, I realized it too late, because we'd already done the recording, that we could have, that's something we should have done. So I wanted to put that out there as an idea of a way to collaborate using this site, Zencaster. Or even better, get that actor uh, set up a time where that actor could do it live with us and you could record both scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You see, I I really like that because it gave us instant feedback from the director, from you. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, it went really well. We didn't have to do too many retakes, but it's really good if an actor is struggling with a certain part or a certain sequence that the director's right there. No, no, try it this way. Or, hey, slow down. Let's make this go a little bit um easier take it easy and listen better in that section i think it's a great way for people to talk to each other and it solves that age-old problem of people acting in isolation from each other because you lose that interaction which i think is essential and even if an actor can't make it for some reason and they get their dialogue in first you can still use their clips so the others can interact with it i was a little bit inspired by the um i believe bioware is a similar system for when they're recording dialogue for their video games because their cast is spread all over the world so getting everyone together is very difficult with all their schedules and locations so the first person will set the recording will set the tone of the scene and then each following one will have to um they get they hear the previous recordings as they're recording their session so they can match it and they all the actors that are seen talk about it said that really works and which is why i started thinking about this but you're right having everyone together in one session or as many people as you can get in one session is also a, a great way to do it and i think i, I think so because what happens is is that you you forget that that scenes are interactive that what an actor might give in a certain scene the other actor could pip, pick up on uh, pace is often uh, a thing where an actor gets excited and the other actor picks up on the energy and then continues along. You have to sort of create that when you don't have it artificially in the audio editing portion by cutting and arranging the rhythm, sometimes slowing an actor down. It would be much better if it was more natural, uh, more realistic. When I worked with, um, oh, the fellow who did the World of Warcraft, uh, Jason Choi, when I worked with him, he came over to my apartment and I worked with the actor uh, uh, for almost like four, sa four Saturdays in a row for several hours rehearsing the scenes. So by the time we got to the actual recording of it, which we recorded live on microphones there, we, were, we not only had all of our lines down, but we were so proficient in what Jason wanted us to do that the recordings just came out perfectly the performances were just 
No wonder the film did so well because our work was so enmeshed with each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We were able to practice and learn things that that keyed each other off in the performance. When you separate like that, people are end up doing it. They may have a different idea of what the overall story is or the overall tone. And so they do things in isolation. And then the audio editor or the director has to solve those problems um, while they're doing the editing. And so I think today, having things like Zencaster and Discord and, and the ability to be able to interact faster and more quickly makes for more natural and more fresh performance, I think, uh, than what we had in the old days. Yeah, I agree. Uh, recording studios have actually been, they've had a technology for many years to synchronize recordings over a remote. And it, it involved some very specific hardware requirements that would have put it out of range of, you know, normal folks. And a, a specific ISDN type of connection, almost a point-to-point -point thing. Uh, actually, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Hugh Hancock, who we brought up earlier, he some of the voiceover work that he had done either for Bloodspell or for maybe for a death night love story. I'm not sure. Used that technology. He went to a local recording studio in his area and whoever the actor that he had hired was in a recording studio somewhere else. And mm. they did some kind of a session that way. Now that's not something you have to go to a studio for or spend ridiculous amounts of, of, of money to do. You can do it right through, well, maybe discord. You can definitely do it through zoom um, which uh, I don't think there's anybody listening to this right now that hasn't at least had a taste of Zoom in the past 12 months. Right. Like you said, it's become ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. Um, the reason, just for those listening to the show, in case you're not familiar with Zencaster, which we will make sure to put a link to that in, in the show notes here, the reason that we ended up settling on this as a platform is because Zencaster solves... Uh, a problem that frankly has been a challenge for multi-host podcast or interview recordings for a long, long, long time. And that is if I record the interview and you're on the phone with me, your recording is going to sound not very good. You know, it's going to be whatever compressed signal made it through Zoom or Skype or however we're talking, and mine will sound great. Um, Zencaster solves that by uh, locally recording. So we've got four people on this on this call here, uh, and Damien's audio gets recorded to his computer, Tracy's to hers, Ricky's to his. So it's not dependent on the connection. So those of you tuning in on stream. Stuff's dropping out from time to time. Quite frankly, that happens sometimes when we're recording it, even when we're not live streaming it. But the Zencaster audio is captured locally. So generally speaking, those drops and gaps don't show up in that audio. In a wave format, too. Yep. If you get the paid version of Zencaster, it records in high quality, basically lossless wave. And then how it works is... Once we finish our session, Zencaster, the, the plugin basically in the browser, sends that locally recorded audio to some central repository. 
so that the host can take it and then mix lay it into a mix and do something with it. There is a free version of Zencaster um, that's still available. Once COVID is completely in the rearview mirror, they probably won't be doing it for free anymore. But right now, as of today, even you can still go and do a free Zencaster account and experiment with this yourself if you ever wanted to. Like Damien said, do some voiceover recordings. Mind you, the free version only records in MP3. So if you really want the high quality wave, that only comes with the paid version. But if you just if you just want a video conference software that can record very easily, um, this is a, a way to do it. And I don't think Zoom has a completely free offering. They have like a free trial now. So Zoom has recording capability as well, but I don't think they do it losslessly. So just wanted to get that out there. We've all been become familiar with Zencaster over these past months with the show, but it's not a name that I, I think is widely known outside a podcast creation community. So just wanted to let folks know about that. Lots of other potential uses for it, I think. What, what I wanted to throw in the mix here is the collaboration tools outside of the actual performance side of it. And, um, you know, the, the, um, the, the writing, the shared writing tools, the shared pre preparation tools, all of which would not have existed back in the day. Uh, and the one that we use um, for preparing for the show is Mil Milan Note, Milan Note, whatever you, Milan Note, um, which seems to me a great tool where we can all, all kind of asynchronously, um, well, and potentially synchronously um, collaborate uh, in preparing uh, the outline for the show and the content of the show um, and, uh, you know, adding our notes and what have you to it. Um, but they're not tools that I've seen before, really. I think they're very, they're very clever tools. Mixed media that you can add to it, also uh, very interesting. So it's not quite a Google Docs where you have to drop links and what have you in. You can actually drop um, creative content into it as well. Yeah, a tool like Milanote would be, it would be hugely helpful for a, a team that's collaborating on a production. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I think those are new sorts of tools too, really. The only thing I was going to say is, um, you know, there are now so many different types of collaboration tools that I think the thing that you you do have to be aware of are things like, you know, pick tools that are easy to use, which is an obvious kind of thing, but there are a lot of them that are designed for very specific types of, you know, um, user, which are not necessarily straightforward. Um, for, for quality of production, look at the T's and C's. Um, but also the privacy options on those kind of content aspects um, and also cloud use um, and how compatible that the, the data is that you put in these collaboration tools to be um, ported out into other types of tools. Those to me seems, seem to be the key things because you can, you can pretty much mix anything with anything with the, with the breadth of stuff that there is out there. But there Smart. do seem to be some... Some things you've got to watch for, I think. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, the, the the movement towards two things. The virtual worker was already happening before the pandemic. The pandemic just put it, vaulted it forward. And the com competitive uh, quality of cloud-based interaction, not only creatively, but business-wise, 
uh, the tools that people need for small teams to work in an office environment. All of those things have been uh, progressing like crazy. The pandemic just pushed it higher. And there's a lot of competition. And there's a lot of people who don't really have much of a moral focus on what they're doing. They're just trying to get your money. So Tracy's advice is really good. Be smart. Make some investment in time to explore what the elements in the TDOC is um, before you make a decision. Uh, we looked at quite a variety of recording options until we came up with Zencaster, and all of us looked at it. Phil, in particular, took a deep dive and said he thinks this is the best, and it has turned out to be a really excellent platform for us. Yeah, I mean, just to say on Zencaster, the other thing is when we produce our show notes from this, um, we can... Is, am I right in saying this is this is compatible with um, the, uh, the 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 record the otter? You know, the, yes, the otter, otter otter AI, which is which is brilliant. So we produce those fairly au- automatically um, with with a with a, an integrated tool there. Uh, albeit we you know we obviously have to do quite a bit of checks on those, but I quite like the fact that you can um, match these tools up. It's really quite useful. Oh yeah, it's otter.ai, I believe is the website, and it's remarkably accurate. About 90%, I'd say, 90, 95. But the, but the things it doesn't get um, right are oftentimes hilarious. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, as I'm going through, you know, fixing and cleaning, some of the things it says are just mind-bogglingly absurd they almost make you want to use it as dialogue in some some scene (laughs) all right so let's uh there that topic actually feels like one that that we should plan on revisiting in the future because those this really has been a year of explosion of uh proliferation of those types of tools and i think there's always going to be new things uh that will help us all be more efficient with, with what we're trying to do. Let's talk a little bit real briefly about the legal status of Machinima at present. Um, and in particular, you know, how there are some different revenue earning possibilities that have emerged in the, in the recent years here, you know, YouTube ad revenue, um, uh, Patreon, uh, you know, what are the, legal ramifications for machinima filmmakers if they want to, you know, try and earn money on what they're doing. Well, one I found was uh, along the Patreon line is coffee, which is K-O-F-I. And the idea is internet creators um, can say, well, if you like what I do, you can buy me a coffee. So you're not actually directly funding or paying for the project. Um, you're just saying, oh, I like what you do, have a coffee. Um, I don't know how that would hold up in a court if it ever came to that, but it kind of feels like it may be a way to step around making money off someone else's property because you're not directly making money off um, the property. You're just saying, um, you can buy me a coffee if you like. I mean, it's not really any different from um, if if I wanted to meet up with you guys, um, I might say, well, I'm going to buy you guys a drink. Um, doesn't have to relate anything to do with our show it's it's just being nice to each other uh, i don't again i don't know how well that would hold up legally but mm. that, that's something i found and it works quite nicely for my star wars project at least so far 
I had a look at some of the um, stuff that's being crowdsourced um, through Patreon in terms because you know it's a platform for for creatives. That's how it's sort of badged itself, and, and I, I kind of wanted to see if there were any machinima creators on there. And I was surprised there are, well, quite a few hundred hundreds, I'd say, of content creators listing their projects. Some as machinima, um, some as um, uh, film, some as virtual film, some as animation, and some simply calling themselves content creators um but what what they're um doing isn't saying fund the the film as such they um they've got subscription models to providing aspects of the the production so you can become almost like a bronze silver or gold sub, um, member sub, subscriber to that person and some of them seem to be generating you know, five, six hundred quid a month um, from hundred plus patrons mm -hmm. um, through this kind of subscription service where, you know, people are donating between a dollar and fifteen dollars per month per patron kind of thing. And I thought what was quite interesting um, was was how the content then is being made available. And it's, you know, they seem to be not using youtube as the as the distribution channel here they're using patreon itself as the distribution channel and some hmm. of that subscription money is um is also going to pay I, I think i saw a couple that were using it to pay for um server space um three or four hundred um dollars a month they seem to suggest hmm. for um the content that they were creating um i don't know how successful that is don't know if it's a kind of a a mega trend. Um, some are clearly supplementing their Patreon channel with their uh, Discord server as well, which is also seems to be a, a kind of emerging trend. But clearly, what's happening is they are sidestepping YouTube, um, which I think is a an interesting strategic development. It sure um, is. Now. Um, like I said, I don't know if they're able to really make money out of this. I didn't see an awful lot of evidence of huge amounts of money being made, but you know, five hundred bucks a, a month isn't an unsubstantial amount of money, in my view, for right. for a, a machinima creator or a content creator. Um, yeah, interesting one. I thought not not really one I'd paid an awful lot of attention to until until this sort of came up as a discussion topic, but. Maybe that's something to have a look at if you're, um, you know, if you're a regular content producer. Maybe that's what happened to the machinima creators when they got kicked off, you know, the, um, the channel partnership strategy that folded a, a couple of years ago. Maybe that's that's where they're looking at um, options away from YouTube, which, are, you know, who could blame them for it, really? Interesting. Interesting. Damien, do you uh, monetize any of your uh, machinima videos on YouTube? Uh, I monetize the ones that I own, like my own Chronicles of Humanity uh, and stuff like that. Um, I don't feel brave enough to try risking it with the Star Wars ones um, for obvious reasons. But I do have that, that coffee uh, donation thing that does appear at the end of each video. Um, and I'll put it in the, in the description underneath as well. Right. It seems to me that it's uh, the intellectual property aspects of machinima has always been a puzzle uh, right from the very beginning from when quake two said you can't mod the engine 
and everybody went, what the hell? You know, and they jumped over to another engine, you know. Um, I think it's split into two two directions. One is the traditional game-based uh, machinima filmmaker is still producing films based on uh, intellectual property of somebody else, and they're still considered derivative works. So whatever con, con whatever uh, EULA uh, is on that game is what you have to rely on. And in many ways, many of the game producers, if they really wanted to, they could bring people to court and sue them if they saw that they were suddenly selling them and selling DVDs and all this stuff, but they haven't because they realize that it's a PR element of it. It's one of the things that the positive side that we thank you for and other filmmakers, Paul Marino for showing how popular machinima can be and how it feeds back into the sales of the game. And that's, I think that's how many game companies look at machinima as a PR element of their, um, organization. So in that sense, since most aren't going to be trying to make a lot of money, even the small amount of profit they get from ad revenue on YouTube is not going to dent the, the market. It's only when something becomes hugely popular, like uh, male restroom etiquette, and they ask you to go on Johnny Carson show. And you suddenly realize, ah, well, this is big leagues. And so they're going to deny you the permission, which is what happened to Phil, uh, yep. which is a shame. You know, and then the other uh, avenue that they're going down is those Unity and um, Unreal game engines, not games. They'll give you permission to sell anything you want from the game, which is free, up to a hundred thousand dollars. Once you make go past a hundred thousand dollars, you have to pay a percentage of the profit. Now, most of that is geared towards game makers, but it also applies to machinima filmmakers as well. Plus, when you when you buy content from their library, the content comes with a commercial element. You buy the contract to do that. So, in a, in a way, even though it really isn't traditional machinima, it's a much better way to go for the legal aspects of it. You know what I mean? Especially if you want to make your machinima a profit-based uh, act activity. So I think those are the two directions. But essentially, nothing has really changed legally in terms of the der derivative content. It's just that game makers and big companies realize that um, that machinima can promote their engine. Uh, when I had my interview with Dane Johnston for NVIDIA, one of the things I asked him about, because if you go into Omniverse, you see this huge 30 licenses list all the way to the left. I mean, it's like 30 of them, all in legalese. And so I asked him, I said, what the hell is that all about? What's the legal status of stuff? And he says, you know, I'm really glad you asked that. Because although... We want it to be like traditional machinima. We haven't really made a decision. He says it's going to be like Creative Commons. That as long as you don't make money out of it, you're okay to use it as long as you give attribution. And I think that's a fair thing to do, especially for a company like an NVIDIA. And honest people, they can work with that. So how does that work then with, the, with something like a YouTube model where you make money through advertising associated with your content i mean you, my view with that sort of stuff is it's i mean so one of the one of the um films we had in our pick this month um was littered with adverts and it's very disruptive to to your to your yeah view. yeah yeah 
viewing experience unless you're prepared to pay the you know the the sub to to you know red youtube or whatever it's called mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but but it's you know really and truthfully from what i can see as a, as a machinima creator unless you've got millions of followers you're not going to make enough out of this process to to make it worth the effort i mean you have to have thousands thousands of viewers and of you know from what i can see on average a youtube channel when you do have those thousands you can receive sort of 18 dollars per thousand ad views which equates roughly to approximately three to five dollars per thousand video views so with youtube you can't actually enable adverts until you reach 10,000 subscribers so if you don't have 10,000 subscribers forget it forget it you can't even um turn it on once you turn it on you get a control panel for each video which lets you choose which kind of adverts you want to be so there could be um just the little pictures that show up on the side or underneath uh, at the bottom of the video or you can have pre-roll adverts which are the ones that um play before your video starts and then you get the mid-roll ones which are the ones that will interrupt your video i personally turn those ones off because i don't want people to have their experience of watching my videos uh, interrupted by someone else's product i hate it when i see it in other people's videos i don't want to right, uh, right. subject my fans to that as well i don't mind the ones on the side i don't mind the ones uh, before uh and you can the ones before you have the option of setting if they're ones that you can skip or can't skip i always make sure they're the ones you can skip so that if people don't want to watch the advert they can press the skip button and get straight into my video do you actually make money out of doing it though uh not a lot no is it worth it well it's better than not making any money um so i've made since i was able to add uh, um, enable adverts i've made a few hundred dollars I would like to split that up with the people who have made the videos with me, like the, the voice actors. But when I worked out how much that would divide into, it feels really insulting to give someone <laughs> five, $5 for what they did to me. So I'm waiting for it to build up, and then I'll split it up. <laughs> I think it's one a, person I worked out... It's a Christmas out, coffee, isn't it? That's what it yeah. is. Someone, I think I worked out someone would have been given... Um, 50 cents and i thought no i'm not gonna give them 50 <laughs> no, cents no 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 i'll wait until it builds up and give them a, a sensible amount even if it takes a while phil have you got comments on this you, i mean this is your bag really we've lost phil's sound i guess it would help if i unmute myself <laughs> <laughs> it i was typing something to cue it up for the chat and i didn't want it to be all <laughs> okay well I'm sure that as well is a uh, a topic that we will we will revisit. It has always been, of course, the question that that creeps in to do it or not, and if so, how to do it without getting in trouble. I was going to say I had a look at whether there are other options, and um, I don't know if you guys have seen Amazon Video Direct. Uh, I've tried that. Which- well, it's it. You know, I would have said maybe that would be an option for shorts creators, um, because you know you could seemingly upload content for subscribers to, um, uh, you know, view at their at their sort of leisure. However, um, 
it was shut down in February this year um, with kind of no clear indication of whether or not it's going to be opened up again. Um, but what what I kind of picked up from that as an option was that people that were using it were at least getting some royalties, even, even um, you know, slightly more, I think, than um, from YouTube, where, you know, where the observation is they're getting very little out of YouTube and decreasing kind of thing. I did use it. Uh, when it first launched, I put my Chronicles of Humanity videos on there. And uh, so I checked it a few days later and I thought, I've made how much? And uh, then what, because um, it's based on views uh, per minute, but what Amazon have been doing very sneakily is lowering the percentage you get to the point that I was, again, making a handful of dollars per couple of months, and it's not worth it. Yeah, mm. of course. And the um, the Amazon audience are not very forgiving of the quality of Machinima. I was getting a lot of really nasty comments. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I, my last thought on this is that I think that, and it's just my personal philosophy, I think when money enters a group effort, it changes the dynamic of it. It changes the psychology of it, which is why I got into Machinima in the first place for free. I wanted to offer my talents. I wanted to work with people for free because that meant that I was doing it because I wanted to do it. I wasn't doing it because I was required to do it like a job. And I think, and that's part of the reason why most machinima filmmakers are not going to be interested in profit. Um, I think the safe way to do it is like with Damien, you know, do a small amount in YouTube or possibly the methods that you were talking about, Tracy. But essentially none of that interests me. I don't want to make money on it. I'm doing it because I love to do it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that wraps our discussion for this week. I'll remind our listeners one more time that uh, we crave your feedback and would love to hear from you to help direct the, the future content of this show. All the methods for contacting us are on our website, which is completelymachinima.com. Just click on the talk, the talk item in the menu at the top, and that'll show you all the methods that you can use to get in touch with us. Email, text, mysterious reverb chat voicemail. Who's going to be the first on that? Dun, dun, dun. And Discord. Um, just just uh, mind the crickets. <laughs> all right. Thank you to my co-hosts let me see what order did i say your names in last time i'm trying to shake <laughs> this up let's start with uh tracy ricky and damien thank you all this has been a pleasure as usual same i love talking to you guys yeah likewise can't wait for the next time absolutely looking forward to it